If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-U.S. wines, I find them extremely helpful and helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials. Welcome in to the BSN Rockies podcast. It really wasn't talked about back then when I was in middle school and high school about pitching at elevation. It, the majority of the staff, I think, except for Marquez, we all came through the system uh, of the Rockies, and, and you can see that this was installed a long time ago. We're going to put a team on the field that's that's on a hit and play defense well, but also have a, a group of pitchers that know what it takes to pitch at this level and also you know, pitching at Coors with everything that goes along with that, with you know, altitude and everything. It's very special, and we pride ourselves on it. And once I actually got off the family plan, I actually texted him, hey, I got my own phone bill and he's like it's about time <laughs> so those were pretty good ones. did you have a gold glove before you were on your own phone plan um yeah i did i did i did i got brought in with runner at second and i walked the eight nine hole guys um who i faced in triple a earlier that year and then all of a sudden Derek jeter comes over face loaded and i'm like oh man what i do but i started him off the breaking ball actually for a strike and I ended up oh, striking him out so <laughs> what, do I, what do i do i'll surprise him <laughs> And now, your host, Drew Priestman. Welcome into the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com. Reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. Use code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Now, let's jump into the show. On today's episode, we've got a lot to discuss, including the Rockies with a 5-4 victory over the San Francisco Giants in the first game of the series. A lot of interesting little tidbits inside of this one. Of course, a bit of sad news in terms of David Dahl. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, That'll be where we start. But a lot of things that I thought were interesting throughout the course of the game that I do want to make sure that we touch on before getting back into some of the big picture stuff and taking some questions that have been submitted on the website and maybe a few here live from the Periscope uh, and a few off of Twitter. I do want to remind everyone that the best way to make sure that your 
comment or question is read on the podcast is to leave that comment or question on the website itself, especially if you're already a subscriber to bsndenver.com. If you leave a question on the latest podcast or the most recent article, and I'm actually going to start doing calls for this once we post the recap after any individual game, reminding people on Twitter or on Facebook, um, you know, leave a comment on this game recap and we'll get to it on the next day's podcast. That's going to become a regular thing in how we begin uh, answering the questions. And so maybe for those of you who are just podcast listeners and not so much article readers, that also might be a little bit of an incentive to go ahead and subscribe to bsndenver.com to make sure that you can continue to be uh, engaged in this as as we grow and get more and more comments. We're going to be giving priority to those put on the site. But let's begin with uh, obviously a very unfortunate circumstance here. David Dahl uh, with a nasty-looking ankle injury. The x-rays came back negative. Those of you who saw it... uh, know what happened Uh, a ball to his left in the gap looked like it was tailing away from him looked like he was really going to have to try to run that thing down but it kind of cut or knuckled back uh, to his uh, right side tried to stop and turn on a dime and rather than his leg just kind of sliding underneath him or uh, you know him kind of taking a tumble he was still able to catch the ball but his ankle rolled pretty bad underneath his body. He was clearly in pain. As you saw, teammates, including Nolan Arenado, rushed out to check on him. Uh, the famous pictures going around now with Arenado giving David Dahl a kiss on the forehead. Dahl clearly very upset. The young man has been through so much in his career when it comes to injuries. It's been such a tough road, and and, and it continues to be mind-boggling how completely disconnected from one another his injuries are. They've got, they're so fluky. They've got nothing to do with each other. People in the history of sports who are quote-unquote injury-prone, if that's a thing, they tend to get one real bad injury. This is sort of what happened with Tulowitzki, and, and, and it affects a lot of other stuff throughout their career, but Dahl just keeps having totally random, completely flukish things that have nothing to do with each other happen. He's never had an ankle problem before. He's been out for uh, a spleen issue. He's been out for a rib issue. He's been out for the time he fouled the ball off his foot, but that wasn't an ankle like this rolling over one, and so we're hearing it's a sprain, But that can sometimes be just as bad as a break, and it can sometimes not be. It depends on the severity of the sprain. I'm sure we'll find out more about that uh, once I'm down at the ballpark a few hours from now. And if needs be, Patrick Lyons and I can do an update podcast with whatever type of news should come out of that. Uh, But I'm sure all of you are hoping there's no need for that. I'm guessing he's probably going to need uh, a 10-day IL stint. Uh, but everyone's hoping that that's all that it is. The young man has been through enough. He's having such a phenomenal season, an all-star this year. He's hitting around 300. He's cemented himself into the middle of a lineup right in between Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story, or, you know, it obviously moves around a little bit, but you get the point. He's really had quite a fantastic season, and it would be very sad 
to see it end this way. So we're all hoping to see David Dahl take the field again this year. Um, a lot of people beat up about it afterwards. Ryan McMahon in particular uh, was, you know, they're very, very close. He's, he even called him as one of my closest friends, and you hate to see that. And and he was rattled by it, you could see. But also, he went out and did his part, didn't he? The, the guys went out and got the game. And I saw a lot of people on Twitter, and I asked Ryan McMahon the question, you know, was that home run? Game-tying two-run home run. Right after this thing happens to your buddy, was that one for David? And he and he just kind of looked at me and smiled, and he goes, yeah, you know, if I could do it on command every time, I would. But I'd be lying if I said, if I said to you I didn't think about him going into the at-bat and that I wasn't thinking about him going around the bases. You know, that was... It was a big moment for McMahon as a part of a great night, a three-hit night where he really drove the ball well and that two-run shot that tied the game, making it possible for the Rockies to come from behind and win the ball game. And he's been fantastic lately. Ryan McMahon, as I talked about going into and then coming out of the All-Star break, for me was going to be the story of the second half, whether the team was in it or not. Ryan McMahon is becoming a, a major league baseball player in front of our very eyes. He's becoming a part of the core of this team. We saw it again in this game against the San Francisco Giants. A pivotal part of that lineup coming through and hitting the ball well and then hitting the ball well in clutch situations, whether it be with two outs and runners on base or getting the big two-run home run to answer the Giants' big two-run home run. Uh, funny quirk about it, again, is the second time this year that the stat cast projected distance on the home run has been uh, shorter than the distance that is written on the wall that uh, we were told it was a 409-foot home run. It went right over a sign that says 415 feet, so that was interesting. Um, but, you know, good for... Ryan McMahon he was obviously more concerned last night and and that's what's you know tells you a lot about the character of Ryan McMahon who he is as a human being because he's been on this unbelievable stretch lately where he's picking up all the big two out hits the big two run home run all of this stuff is going well for him at the plate and as Bud Black mentioned after the game defensively he made a fantastic diving stop in this one little spin throw over to Story they weren't quite able to complete the double play it would have been one of the best plays in all of baseball this year if they had uh, nothing on that Mariners shortstop I don't know if you guys saw that one but it was a fantastic play especially when you consider the guy's only been playing second base for about a year and a half. He's just an extraordinary athlete, great instincts. He's really starting to figure it out over there. But he was far more concerned last night about his buddy than he was about talking about his great performance. He, was, he just wanted to make sure his guy was okay. And uh, I, I, they play, he, he's one of those guys who plays for his teammates and you always need those type of guys on your team and that's a part a big part of the reason why I've always expected big things out of Ryan McMahon since I met him all those years ago in 2013 so got a question here on the periscope from Anthony saying do you think the Giants will do anything in the playoffs um I don't know I'm not sure that this Giants team has quite the depth or longevity to make that happen they could they're certainly hot and you never count out a hot team and, and the Giants have done it before and they're not untalented I've been surprised at what they've been able to get out of some of their pitchers who are not named Madison Bumgarner it's been pretty impressive some of the quality they've gotten 
out of guys, uh, even like Chase Anderson. But I, I don't think that they're quite deep enough in a National League that is extraordinarily deep. I don't foresee the Giants being able to maintain this thing moving forward. Uh, I think they've gotten a little bit lucky. I think they've gotten a little bit hot, and I think they were probably smart to see if it can continue and and go ahead and not trade Madison Bumgarner because I still don't think for a half a season you're going to get anybody's best of the best prospects. And, And as I've said about the Rockies many times, and it's fair to say about the Giants as well, crazier things have happened but I don't see a team that's built for a run into the postseason and certainly not a deep postseason run should they get there in this National League Uh, now they've surprised me to this point so maybe they're just fundamentally a better baseball team than I have realized and 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 that's on me Uh, that could well be the case and and I gotta say some of these young guys have changed the equation for them a bit we saw what uh we well we've seen the last couple of series these two teams have played each other what this uh mike yastrzemski what a great baseball name that is it's uh, it's a good dna line to be a part of and what he's been able to do that dinger he hit off of peter lambert last night was his 10th of the season already uh, he's been really really good for them since coming on but no i i, I don't I don't see the Giants, you know, shocking the world. Uh, I, I really don't. Speaking of Peter Lambert, that that really was the one pitch I think you would say he wants back. There was a, a tough luck run on him earlier on when the Rockies couldn't quite complete the double play. In fact, initially it was ruled that it was a double play, but it rightfully overturned. He threw one bad pitch to Mike Yastrzemski. Other than that, I think we continue to see a Peter Lambert who is not hes not at the Ryan McMahon stage of coming into his own, but he's really starting to figure it out as a 22-year-old. And that particular pitch was just a mis-executed situation. I don't think it was the wrong idea to come up and in, but you really, really have to hit your spot if you're going to do that on a 1-2 pitch. And he didn't. He left it right over the middle of the plate. Just a mis-execution maybe in the future there you do go to off-speed stuff while you still have the count in your favor. You throw him a breaking ball. You feel a little more confident. You recognize that Yastrzemski's in a pretty hot spot and you, you don't need to challenge him with a fastball on one and two. But I also think if he executed his pitch where he was trying to, he probably gets him to swing through it. He just left it right over the middle of the plate in about as much of a whack-me zone as you can. And and whacked is, is exactly what happened that ball was driven. I thought it was going to make the party deck at first. Off the bat, I thought that ball was going to be into the third deck. Didn't quite make it there, but a second deck shot. Um, but you don't get extra points for distance, as we saw with Ryan McMahon's 409 over the 415, whatever that means, however you do that. Uh, and then, of course, we, we saw some really good stuff out of the bullpen, which was interesting and maybe probably almost certainly very, very, very frustrating for a lot of Rockies fans because you do have to wonder a little bit if the team had been more aggressive about moving on from Wade Davis. And I understand why they didn't. Given his resume, given what he's been able to do, even out on the road this season, but 
you you see a game where Jairo Diaz goes out, and you can't do this every time because you'd kill Jairo Diaz. But he was on four days of rest, and that's why they felt fine throwing him uh, two innings. But he was thrown with confidence, swagger, and also location and command and velocity and, and break and all those things that you need. Uh, but he, I thought, was as good good as he has been as a major leaguer last night out there on the diamond, as confident as he has been as a major leaguer. And in his post game, I thought he was as confident. I also had to point out to him, his nickname is El Panda. And he did face Pablo Sandoval, who's of course the Kung Fu Panda. So we had a Panda versus Panda encounter last night. And the Rockies Panda came out on top, striking him out. And I mentioned that to him after the game, got a big chuckle out of everybody, but yeah, it was the, uh, the panda versus panda. So if we see that again, remember that it is a panda v. panda experience, and we should all be very excited about that. But Jairo Diaz uh, continues to emerge as one of those guys who makes sense as a setup guy with Scott Oberg as your new closer. And then you saw Scott Oberg as your new closer dealing with some of the things that closers deal with and, and remembering that, yeah, when it's the ninth inning, Maybe Brandon Belt's going to lay down a bunt to try to beat the shift because they're running out of outs and they're going to do stuff like that. It was a smart baseball play from the Giants, well executed. You know, After the ground ball got through for a single with one out, now you put a ton of pressure on Scott Oberg and he just goes and gets another ground ball. Game-ending double play, didn't look rattled, didn't walk anybody, hammered the strike zone with good low pitches, you know, if that ball gets through, you're frustrated if instead of it being at the second baseman, it's up the middle as well, and a run scores. There'd be people coming out and saying, well, maybe Scott Oberg mentally isn't the right guy to handle the, the closer's role, and now the Rockies are really screwed. But, you know, those are the breaks of baseball. Went his way. Excuse me. And... Rockies win the baseball game, and and you look at it and you say a decent, uh, you know, a Coors Field quality start, if you will, out of Peter Lambert, the four runs, but at Coors, <laughs> especially this year. And then shut down innings from Diaz and an ability to escape traffic from Oberg, and you win the ball game, a close ball game that you, you don't let go the other way. Came back and won. And then obviously the other big hit beyond the McMahon stuff was the Ian Desmond double. Desmond had to come into the game after Dahl left. Rockies had a very promising inning going there. Two on, nobody out. Desmond doubles off the wall to bring in the go-ahead run, but also puts runners at second and third. The Rockies didn't end up getting any more out of it. So that ended up probably being the biggest hit in the game for Ian Desmond. Uh, who had to come off the bench, wasn't expecting to to do it quite that way. But there you have it. They won that one for David, I think. And uh, it was a pretty emotional clubhouse afterwards, and, and I, I think that one felt good for everybody involved. So I'm going to take a quick break here. Uh, before I do that, I do want to mention the Breckenridge Brewery is the official beer of BSN Denver. You all know their famous vanilla porter, their oatmeal stout, their 
Avalanche Amber Ale, but you got to try. I'm telling you, you guys are going to love the Strawberry Sky. If you haven't tried it yet, you don't need to be a beer guy like me necessarily and if you are you're gonna love it that way but if you just if you just like a nice easy drinking summer ale i'm telling you it's not an overpowering fruity beer i'm not a fruity beer guy i wouldn't be telling you to go get a fruity beer if i didn't think that this is just a nice sipping summer beer try it out yeah if you've never liked one before you you may end up finding yourself yeah yeah he was right. This strawberry sky is where it's at. It's the beer of the summer. I'm telling you, you got to get it. Uh, and also, you got to check out our, our events calendar over at bsndenver.com because you don't want to miss the next pub crawl. They're a lot of fun. We're always drinking the Breck brews. We're always having a good time. We played some trivia last time. Uh, we did some prizes. We gave away some T-shirts. We all, all kinds of fun stuff. Plus, there's like free beer involved. I don't, I don't know why you need other incentives beyond that, but there's also free beer involved. So come hang out with us next time. Head over to bsndenver.com and check out the events calendar. All right. I do need to go to a quick commercial break here and come back on the other side. I've got a couple of questions to answer uh, about some very specific topics that I think we can dive pretty deep into and, and it's going to be fun. So we'll do that on the other side of this break. Hey, if you're like me and you're trying to figure out how to be a mature, refined adult, or you just really like wine, you have to check out my friends over at Weinster. Weinster is an innovative online direct-to-consumer wine club connecting wine drinkers with more than 110 of the best wineries in America today. What makes Weinster special is that the majority of wineries they work with are too small to attract the attention of retailers, meaning not only... Are you getting access to some delicious and hard-to-find wines? You're also supporting real people making real wine, not one of the few large corporations producing most of the wines available in stores. With Weinster, all you have to do is sit back and relax as they curate a hand-picked shipment from the best small wine producers in the U.S. Then, when you fall in love with a couple of wines, as a club member, you can have them sent right back to your door with no shipping cost. I especially love Weinster because it was founded by three CU Boulder alums. So sign up today with the code BSN25 to get $25 off your first shipment of wine and start being a real grown-up. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R. Welcome back into the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Going to jump right into some questions here, beginning with superstar BSNer Mary Pace, who sends in a couple of questions via the website. As I mentioned earlier, that's going to take priority from now on. And she wants to talk Rockies closers, don't we all? And, and not just Wade Davis or Scott Oberg, but let's talk... Rocky's closers, man. What what's going on here? Is there a solution to this issue? She says, "I read somewhere, uh, maybe Moneyball the book, that it was a waste of money to overspend on closers. One, because the position is so volatile, and most interestingly, two, because in the opinion of this analyst, GM, or whoever, you can quote train anyone to be a closer." What are your thoughts on this strategy, and is it something the Rockies could adopt in some form? This is difficult and complicated because I wholeheartedly agree, at least conceptually, with the first point. It's such a volatile position. 
we've seen over and over again. And we're we are watching it now with Wade Davis and the seventeen million dollars he's owed next year, and how he was mostly able to hold it together last year and not so much this year. And maybe he'll be a totally different guy next year. We saw it with Adam Ottavino the two years before that. Relievers in general are extraordinarily volatile. There are a handful of closers in the history of the game you can look to and say those guys were super consistent. But I don't disagree that investing a whole lot of money in that position specifically is tricky because you can end up in a situation exactly like the one the Rockies are in right now. But here's the issue. First of all, I do not agree that you can train anyone to be a closer. I I don't think that that's accurate. I do think there are people who can be trained to be closers, but I think there are also lots of pitchers with phenomenal stuff who could be great relievers in any other capacity other than being a closer. There is a special, and, and Bud Black reiterated it last night after this changeover. The ninth inning is a different beast. It, it, I'm sorry, it just is. And it does take a certain, I don't know what the word is, inner strength to get the final three outs of a baseball game and have it all on you. And, and here's the reason why. And, and think about the feelings for Wade Davis because there's no other position in baseball and there may not be any other position in sports where, I mean, I guess you can do this a little bit as a quarterback, but if everybody else is having a great game on your team, everyone else has done their job, and you can come in and single-handedly blow it. It's literally called a blown save, right? Like, you're, you're blowing the game. And there's so much power in your hands as the guy on the mound that that can happen. That 24 guys on the 25-man roster can have a good game. And if you're having a bad day, your team loses anyway. And that's just a rarity in sports and that adds a certain amount of pressure and human beings respond differently to that kind of pressure. But here's where the Rockies are in a tough situation. As we've discussed before, it doesn't really make a ton of sense for them to spend huge on starting pitching. It's almost never worked. It it can be just as volatile when it comes to the Rockies. Guys who've never pitched at altitude sometimes can fold immediately. There are just too many examples of starting pitchers who've been good elsewhere, come to Colorado, and been total disasters. And signing them to big money contracts just because they've been really good elsewhere didn't fix the issue. We've seen over and over again now, and especially recently, that the better method is to draft and develop these guys from the very beginning with the understanding that they're going to have to pitch at Coors Field. So get used to it, buddy. And you got four years in the minor leagues to get prepared for it. And then you're not going to be making a ton of money one way or the other. So if you do eventually crumble underneath it, they can go to the next guy. If it takes a couple years to figure it out, like it has with John Gray and is with Kyle Freeland, you can work through it and not have to have on top of all of the working through that issue a guy making 10, 15, 20 million dollars that fans are treating like they're treating Ian Desmond. Imagine if Kyle Freeland had Ian Desmond's contract this season. So that's a really tricky situation. Drafting and developing has been so much better there. 
So the Rockies almost have to spend in the bullpen. Look at where they are now going into the offseason. I've said before, you know what I think they need to do is trade as many of these other contracts as they can. If they can get Desmond or Murphy or McGee or Shaw or Davis or whoever off the books, do that. But the very thing that makes sense to spend that money on is the bullpen. But they're also in a unique situation where they have a homegrown, still for a little while cost-controlled, very quality pitcher that they can make their closer. And he does appear to be one of the guys, whether whether he was trained to do it or I think Scott Oberg's always had the mentality to do it, but there he is. You don't have to bring in someone from outside the organization. So you can go and hunt and spend on guys to pitch the 6th, 7th, and 8th, and then also hope that somebody of Diaz and Estevez, maybe Tinoco Almonte, also emerges as potential 6th, 7th, 8th inning guys. But I think you've got to feel that much more beholden to keeping Scott Oberg where he is and and really hope that he can pan out as your closer because I agree throwing huge money at the spot probably not a good idea so you got to spread it out a little bit and bring in a number of guys with pretty good numbers and see who can handle it and who can't but I don't think it's as simple as ah, anybody can close, especially at Coors Field. All that stuff about the pressure and the mentality and how mentally tough you've got to be when things don't go your way, like little bloopers into shallow left that turn into doubles or stuff off the end of the bat that ends up going over the left field wall. You know, you've got to be really, really tough. And I think Scott Oberg is. So I think the Rockies still need to spend in the bullpen, even though, in theory, it's not a good idea to do that. I still think it's what they have to do. And then she also asks, regarding the overall pitching struggles, do we know which pitchers went to driveline or similar for extra offseason training? Has it helped those pitchers? If not, why? Does it just take time for certain adjustments to take hold, or is it possible there is some conflict or confusion between the off-season training and the Rockies' organizational pitching philosophy? Mary, that is a series of fantastic questions that I wanted to read only simply because that's going to require uh, quite a bit more research, but I want everyone to know that I intend to do that. I intend to look into this, Patrick and I, pretty deeply. All of this stuff about... Who's going to driveline? How, I know John Gray did, for example, but I really, in order to get an adequate answer to this question, I'm going to need to talk to a lot of pitchers, some pitching coaches, some people in the know. And I think they're going to be willing to talk to us about that stuff. So thank you for the question and just be on the lookout for a further conversation and probably an article. That's probably going to need to be an article first that we can go into in further depth when we... Uh, once we post it and then we can do it on the podcast got a comment question in here from dev machine who says hey drew it was great meeting you and the rest of the bsn crew with the bar crawl those things are so much fun uh, you can't beat the strawberry free strawberry sky and good friends see not lying to you 
It says, one of your recent podcasts, you mentioned Rymel Tapia not having that much trade value. Can you elaborate on why you think this? I'm a big fan of his, thanks in no small part to listening to you, and I'm surprised that teams wouldn't want to invest in his upside. And, and I think there would be some teams that would be interested in investing in his upside, but Rymel Tapia is at a strange and difficult point in his career as well where He's been around a little bit now. He's he's not a rookie anymore. He's not 22. Um, he was getting into his mid-20s now. And he hasn't had regular playing time ever. And his warts have shown. But he also hasn't been the 300 hitter that people like me have suspected he could and, and one day would be. You see the issues. What There was that game, in, I think it was in Cincinnati, right, where you saw all the things that make Rymal Tapia so promising and so frustrating in the span of about a minute and a half. The Rockies are going through, I think it was a game they lost 3-1. to one. Couldn't get a hit with runners in scoring position. Couldn't get a ton of hits anyway. They only had one run. Coming in later in the game, Michael Lorenzen's bringing 98. Dudes are looking silly bad against him at the plate. Tapia comes in to pinch hit. He's been on the bench all day. Hasn't had a single at bat. Gets a fastball he likes, laces it to left field for a double. All of a sudden, Rocky's offense has a little bit of life in it, and it was brought to you by Rymel Tapia, the spark plug himself. All the good things right there in that he, he, he got a good pitcher who threw a good pitch. He put a great swing on it. He, he you know, all of a sudden, he's a speed threat now at second base in position to score. And an offense that had no life a few moments ago suddenly has it. And then Charlie Blackman hits a sinking liner to left. He takes off for home. Left fielder catches the ball, which it was pretty clear he was going to. And he gets doubled off without ever turning around it. And I did see some people like, I, look, he deserved to get hounded for that play. He really did. It was bad. He thought the ball was going to get down, and I could kind of see why it was well hit. Uh, maybe he didn't get a good read on where the left fielder was positioned before the play. Maybe he just missaw something out of the corner of his eye. It happens. Um, it was a bad play. You can't do that. Uh, you And I saw Corey Sullivan say this on the broadcast before, and I talked to him later about it. You've got to understand that you're down two as well, and that – you scoring that run right there is nowhere near as important as getting another at bat this inning. So either way, you've got to see that ball down. On the other hand, the people who were like, why didn't he turn around and go back when he saw Stu Cole was like, well, who's going to be out no matter what? Let's not overdo it with that stuff. But those those are the moments, right? They're in, in two plays. You see the promise of Ryan Maltapia and the frustration. And managers don't like chaos. And, and I do think players like Tapia can tend to be a little bit underrated because I think ultimately you've got to take the guy that comes out as a plus value as opposed to a minus value. But managers don't like losing games because of things like that or, or stuff that's out of their control that really should just be standard major league baseball stuff hit the cutoff man that kind of thing it drives managers in particular crazy because it creates a kind of chaos they feel like they can't 
control by just putting the right pieces in the right places. You never know what Toppy is going to do out there. And sometimes that's for the best and sometimes it's for the worst. And But that's going to scare off a lot of teams. And because he hasn't really been given an opportunity yet, I would argue, to fully showcase. Um, maybe that's not fair. He's gotten a lot of starts lately and, and he's just kind of sitting around the 275 mark, which is not terrible. He's added some pop. Uh, he still looks good at the plate, I think, but he just hasn't really shown that he can be that consistent threat yet and as such it's a lot to ask somebody to kind of put up with all of those other things he's, he's got to tighten up his game and I still think there's time for it and I think Toppy is going to be one of those guys that hangs around the game for a long time because he can hit and he can hit well but he he needs to put in some work I, I don't know how or, or where but in the off season, I'm making sure that that he can really start keeping these things to a minimum or just rake so much that it doesn't matter you can always go that way and be Manny Ramirez or Daniel Murphy a guy who gives you no value on the bases or in the field but is hung around forever because he can hit the crap out of the baseball like he can become one of those guys but with his speed tool I think it would at least behoove him to get it under control on the bases and I think those are the things that are just frustrating for managers and and then why opposing gms would maybe be a little bit hesitant to to jump in on that so thank you for those questions really enjoyed getting into some of those topics uh, there was one other thing i wanted to mention uh, before i close this one out but i am going to go to another quick commercial break before i do that and and i don't i really don't want to belabor too much of the Jeff Breidich stuff and, and the back and forth. But um, somebody sent me an article that brought so much of this into focus. And I do see it still out there on Twitter. So I wanted to address it, hopefully, hopefully for the last time, probably not. It's going to be like one of those if product didn't experience that bad things that just sticks around for seemingly forever. But I do want to discuss one other element the, of the frustration with this team that I understand, but also getting where they're coming from when they defend themselves a little bit. So we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Strava Craft Coffee offers CBD-rich hemp oil-infused coffees. This 5280 Editor's Choice for Top Coffee Roaster is an essential part of the day, helping you wake up, Fuel up and achieve your goals. It gets me up. It gets me going. I, I'm like, I'm becoming pretty, pretty caffeine like uh, tolerant. So they're stronger. Like, so it actually wakes me up and gets me going. Get a bag of this award-winning coffee at StravaCraftCoffee.com. All right, welcome back into this final segment of the BSN Rockies podcast, presented by the Green Solution. I wanted to mention something and. I was listening to the conversation I had with Mike Rice on the previous podcast, which had had some issues, by the way. If you've had any issues with previous podcasts, they're all fixed now. Please go back and listen to them, especially that one with Mike Rice. Uh, sorry about that. I figured out what the issue was. I got it fixed. Um, but and we talked about the Jeff Breidich brain surgery comments, and, and there was one particular phrase 
that I didn't use, that neither of us used, and that I haven't used throughout the conversation, which is the main reason I'm bringing it back up, that and this other thing that a good friend of the podcast sent me an article. But the phrase is fantasy GM. And I think when reading the full context of the quote and not just jumping straight to the brain surgery part, you see Jeff Breidich talking about journalists specifically who like to play fantasy GM, who don't just ask the question, hey, why'd you sign this guy? Hey, could you have signed that guy? Hey, could you have traded X, Y, and Z? Instead, write the articles, the Rockies should have done X. The Rockies should do Y. The Rockies should send down. The Rockies should DFA. The Rockies should trade. Playing fantasy GM. Not just questioning the moves that he makes or questioning why not make these other moves, but literally saying this is what should be done or because the Rockies didn't do this, they should be criticized for it or because the Rockies didn't do this, people should be fired for it. And his whole point was there's so much information you don't know that you look silly when you do that because you just don't know. Oftentimes people end up saying things that were impossible. I would imagine one of those is, why didn't the Rockies just trade for Marcus Stroman? May not have ever been on the table. Marcus Stroman's agent may not have allowed that. There's just all kinds of things that don't necessarily get talked about. So, again, even, I would have been fine less, eh, don't, you don't need to clarify the whole fantasy GM thing to make it clear what you're talking about you you've made your point but I think that's more what he takes issue with not with people doing the job of reporting facts and even questioning decisions but playing fantasy GM without the necessary information again you can write about being a brain surgeon and you can do a very good job of that if you've done a lot of research but that doesn't mean you can go and do brain surgery that's what he meant right it doesn't mean you can go and be a GM especially when you have no information And so when you say, okay, now, I've set this up, obviously, but good friend of the podcast, Mitch, sends me a DM yesterday of an article in, in, and I'll say it, in the Denver Post by a writer named Jeff Bailey. Now, I I don't know Jeff, and I, I get along very well with Patrick Saunders, and I read the Denver Post all the time, and I have for my entire life. But there was an article about the pitcher... The pitcher, the guy, <laughs> should he, I guess he's a pitcher now at Coors Field who was throwing 96 miles an hour in that, you've all seen the story now, in that little thing they've got set up where you can see how fast you throw the ball. I top out at a healthy 63. This guy's throwing 96 and ended up getting a contract with the A's out of it, which is a fun story, um, an interesting one. You can't sign a guy just based on velocity, but it does sound like there's a little bit of a pitching background there. And I don't expect we'll see much come out of this ever again, but I'm rooting for the guy. But this article was framed almost entirely around the Rockies somehow making a huge, gigantic mistake for not signing this guy. Now, I'll say this. I think there are two ways... 
Well, there are probably more than two ways, but there's a couple ways to read this. One is, and I think probably the, the most fair way to read this, is that it was a joke. He wasn't really saying that the Rockies are dumb because they didn't sign this guy. It was a little lighthearted poking. The Rockies have had struggles with their pitching all year. There's a guy who happened to be throwing 96 and in their stadium at Coors Field, but he gets signed by another team. There's an irony there that is worth commenting on, and that is why when I first read the article, I didn't think much of it. I just kind of laughed it off. Uh, honestly, I, I felt like it was a joke that was coming one way or the other, but the article did kind of push the point. And I want to ask you this before answering it, and you probably already have. Why did Mitch send this to me? Right? Why DM me this article? Because... As it pertains to the brain surgery comments, while I think a lot of this was tongue-in-cheek, there were people who read it, and I saw in the comment section, and there was a bit of, I would argue, legitimate arguing in the article that the Rockies really did somehow make a mistake by not signing this guy. Again, you're playing fantasy GM and, and like fantasy scout here you're you're trying to argue even though you've never heard of this dude before that the Rockies actually made a strategic roster error by not picking somebody up and to do this in the middle of all of this anger and anxiety about those comments is a, a bit eye-popping I would say I I thought it was interesting and I assume I'm I'm 90% sure that that's why Mitch sent it to me because it was such an ironic example of the kind of weird criticism that the Rockies catch that come from like it's not a baseball analysis article and I don't think it was necessarily meant to be and, and again I don't want to call out this guy um, Jeff Bailey because one I, I don't know him but two I actually thought it was well written and, and mostly pretty funny and it was a great story but I, I don't think there was a need to turn it into a thing where you're kicking the Rockies because they're down because you can and because people are going to laugh and have fun with it okay fair enough I don't know, fair. fair it's probably not that fair, but it's you can. You, you have the right to do that. But it doesn't help. I think I think it helps fuel the fire. I think Jeff Breidich can then turn around and say, look, this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. These guys want to come out and criticize me, but then in the paper of record, they're going to write an article about how I should have signed some dude because in tennis shoes with a crow hop, he threw 96 in a, like, come on. You know how crazy weird rare stuff like that is and like i said i'm rooting for the guy i'm rooting for him but no it's fair to criticize the general manager it's also fair to criticize the media why in a 91 season where the top two stories john gray's mental health and nolan arenado is definitely gonna leave why is larry walker not in the hall of fame These are questions it's worth asking 
of the same media who are offended that Jeff Breidich said they didn't know enough about baseball. I, I think it's fair to criticize everybody involved, including me, especially me. <laughs> Come right after me. I've got no problem with it. Uh, especially if, as long as we're talking baseball ideas. But, I, yeah, I, I did find that that bit a little bit ironic. I, I do think, and I've always felt this way so, since a long time ago, that there's that the Rockies aren't covered as well as other teams in town. Certainly not as well as the Broncos. I don't mean by as many people. I mean as accurately and by as many people who are experts in the game of baseball, who really, really are baseball Lifers. There are a lot of football lifers covering the Broncos. And uh, again, I'm not trying to call out anyone specifically. There, there, there are baseball lifers covering the Rockies as well. But there's also this undercutting of it. Here's the way I'll say it. Oftentimes the loudest voices with the widest reach that talk about the Colorado Rockies and the local market do not understand the game well. And they continue to put out narrative after narrative after narrative that is both inaccurate and shows that they don't understand the game well. And it's worth criticizing that as well. Because you, the fans, deserve a better, more nuanced explanation of the game so I think the biggest issue that people are taking away from Jeff Breidich's press conference after the trade deadline is that I, I will always say the biggest fair the issue that I think is actually fair that people because there's a lot of other stuff but is that he didn't come out and have any kind of culpability and he wasn't necessarily asked but I think he could have taken an opportunity to say I bear some responsibility for where this team is at. I have done some things. That's also a little bit tricky as a GM because then if you're asked to get into specific, you do have to start throwing dudes under the bus. Well, what do you mean? What what part of it do you feel responsible for? Well, I never should have signed Wade Davis. You know, it's like Wade is still in the clubhouse and on the team. And, um, you know, he, he's still there. You can't say stuff like that. And I, and I did not see... Uh, much of his interview on television. I, I know I saw some people tweeting out some of the things that I said, but here's where I think people took issue also was that it sounded like he was throwing his players under the bus. And I have to be honest with you that he's not wrong that the majority of the responsibility for this season actually does fall on individual players who underperformed. And that includes guys like Kyle Freeland and Armand Marquez. Uh, and it includes a lot of guys that Jeff Breidich himself brought in, which is the irony of this. And that's why I think if he would have just come out and said what I was saying earlier, a lot of fans could have taken his reasonable point that much of the season did come down to individuals who played well last year, did not play well this year, especially Freeland. There are a few others. But, yes, if he had just said, I 
take responsibility, but Black bears some responsibility. The whole team, nobody is blameless, but he did put most of the onus on the on the field. And, and while I think that that's accurate, it's difficult to do that when you don't also say the other thing. But I do also still think that a lot of this is is kind of an interpersonal mudslinging, like who do we point the finger at? Who do we get angry at? Who do we blame situation where the most important thing is not what does Jeff Breidich think of the media or how much blame does he take or what does he say even about his players, unless individual players take those comments personally, and I don't think that they will. I'll say I can see why fans were frustrated by them, but I don't think there's a single dude in that clubhouse who went, man, you see Breidich say this was all our fault. I I don't think that that's the way that it was taken. Uh, That said, I think the most important thing out there is that he focuses on fixing this thing. And I do think that the most important thing from a media standpoint, again, if if we're going to be objective, we can't say, well, Jeff Breidich screwed up at the deadline because he said mean things about us. That's not objective journalism. Jeff Breidich did or didn't do the right things at the trade deadline based on his roster, the market, and the landscape moving forward. Not based on comments he made in Drew Goodman's book that were made a year and a half ago and then came out a few months ago has nothing to do with the trade deadline or his interview on AT&T. So I I do think it's very important for us in the media to say, yeah, okay, sure. He didn't have really anything to gain by saying or doing some of those things. But at the same time, his job is in front of him. I won't be too harsh on his lack of activity at this trade deadline if he is aggressive in the offseason because I don't believe he was going to solve the issue in one or two deadline moves. And the end result is the same of the types of moves I think we're smart to make. Moving McGee, Shaw, Davis, if you can, Desmond and Murphy, that's the same result if you can do it in the offseason. So if he does some of those things in the offseason, then there's no difference. And his quietness at the trade deadline means nothing to me. There's no difference in how it impacts the roster. I will criticize Jeff Breidich for not making this roster better moving forward. But I won't criticize him too heavily for not doing it at an arbitrary time in which it wasn't going to change anything for the rest of this season anyway. um, Well, and what he is, and he has said, uh, and again, I didn't see what he said on television, but he said to us very specifically that, they know there are a lot of problems that need to be fixed, but that they didn't felt like any of the moves at the, that were available to them at this particular deadline were the right way to go about doing it. But he talked about the core a lot, which is something that I have also talked about a lot, which suggests to me that you understand there's a group of players who are 
going to be with you moving forward. That's your that's what your core means. Those are your group of guys who are going to be with you, which inherently, logically, the only other conclusion to draw from that is that there are guys who are not a member of your core. And everyone who's not a member of the Rockies core is going to be available to be traded or maybe even just outright cut in the offseason. And those are moves that are far cleaner to make in the offseason than they are in the middle of one. And so, again, I'll be right there alongside everybody criticizing Breidich like heck if he goes into next season with the exact same roster. But there's really no reason to put the cart before the horse on that one at this particular moment or to conflate. And I do think that's a lot of what's going on. People want it fixed. They want it fixed now, even if there's no difference if it's fixed a few months from now. And then they're conflating these other things that he said and general attitude things they don't like about him. A lot of people bring up Harvard. I've never once seen a, a Jeff Breidich defender or Jeff Breidich himself bring up the Harvard thing. Maybe once or twice when he first got the job just as a part of his resume and background. For some reason, a lot of people that really don't like him bring up the Harvard thing a lot, which is interesting. And I think there's a lot of people out there who believe that Jeff Breidich is some kind of elitist snob. And that's never been the vibe I've got from him. But, you know, I, I know there's also people who think I'm an elitist snob. So I don't know. You know, it's just it, it's difficult. And there's a lot of overinterpretation and conflating going on these days. And that's what happens when the team is losing and people are looking for reasons and, and someone to blame and, and, and someone to put it on. But I, I do think that, you know, let, let's watch the remainder of this season keep a close eye on these young guys and really it'll be fair to ratchet up the criticisms in the offseason if he doesn't go about fixing this because then that'll be the real telltale whether or not he believes that moves need to be made not this specific deadline but in the offseason if he does nothing and he comes out and he tells us again hey the guys on the roster just have to play better that's not going to cut it now, timing-wise, that's a perfectly fine thing to say. I know fans don't like hearing it, but it's a perfectly reasonable thing to say. In the offseason, that exact same sentence isn't going to cut it. So I, I hope I've made it clear. And, and you you guys, every one of you knows me. I will be consistent. and You'll, you'll always know exactly what I think and how I feel on it. But uh, I, I think you got to be careful overanalyzing individual words and really starting to draw a caricature of a person when you're frustrated with the team and and you know turn him into this this thing that he's not let's see what happens let's see what happens with the club they had two very very good years backed up by an extraordinarily frustrating one if they get right back into the hunt next season this will be a, a footnote in history and there's all the incentive in the world to do so they know that nolan Arenado's really only signed for the next two seasons they understand that he can opt out after that and they're not going to let that happen i don't believe that that's going to happen so thank you for all the great questions uh coming in here from the uh, periscope it's been fun anyway i do have to wrap it up here because i'm about to run out of battery but uh i, I this has been a good one so i thank you so much everyone for listening in make sure you're following us on the social media at bsn rockies at drew creaseman at patrick d Lyons. give us a like share and subscribe on facebook whatever podcast app you happen to be using make sure you're subscribed to bsndenver.com you get your free t-shirt when you do that 
Go to BSN Denver Merch to get even more t-shirts because they're super awesome and comfortable. And make sure that you just continue to be absolutely awesome because I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark. Green Mountain Dental has a long-standing tradition of being one of Lakewood's best family dental care offices. Um, I have been a patient since I was three, which is in 1974. You know, my parents, myself, and now my children all go there. It's just a great place to be, very positive experience with them, definitely. New patients can receive free teeth whitening trays when they schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam. Also, all colored sport mouth guards start at just $25. The doctors will come out and visit with you, um, ask you how your family is doing. You know, just very friendly and family oriented. It's just very comfortable to, to be there. That's GreenMountainDentalGroup.com.